Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. If you don't believe in the devil, you need to start. Amen. He's real. If you don't believe in demons, you need to start. They're real. And we're going to look at the message, the devil's devices to deceive and destroy. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Well, we saw last week, that we who are saved have an enemy in this world, and his name is Satan. He's a fallen angel who was known as Lucifer. He does not work alone. He has demon spirits. Those demon spirits are fallen angels, and they do his bidding, and he is very nefarious in his deeds. He wants one thing. He wants to stop the Lord's work in this world. I believe with all of my heart that Satan wants to take as many people to hell, while well, I know he does, as he can. And he has a plan for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl in this world. And here's that plan. To keep them from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. To keep them from knowing that they don't know Christ as Savior, that in the state in which they were born, they were born sinners, they were separated from God by that sin nature, and that if they never repent toward God and put their faith in Christ, they'll die in that condition and be separated from God in a place called hell for eternity. And there's many ways in which he does that. He may even, in a service like this, cause distractions and disruptions, if there were someone lost here today, or watching by way of live stream, to keep them from hearing the message and get them focusing on the distraction. I'll tell you another way he does it. This is not in the notes for those who have notes, okay? But here's another way he does it. He'll get people to join a church. I'm a church member. I'm going to heaven. Well, not if you haven't repented toward God and put your faith in Christ, okay? I believe there's going to be many, many people who go to hell from the pews of Baptist churches, folks. See, so what do we require to make someone a member. Well, they come and they give their profession of faith in Christ. That's it. They say, I'm saved. And we say, well, and here's the real, people can learn to answer questions. You know that? And people learn, if you ask them, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven or hell? And there's folks that learn to say, oh, heaven. That means you'll leave me alone, won't try to witness to me, right? If God should ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Oh, because I trusted your son. And people can learn those answers and give them to you just like you give back answers on a test. Meanwhile, back at the message, that's just some of the ways that Satan uses. We may get into those later on in this series. But we've already seen some of the others. Now, originally, again, Satan's plan, and I'm talking to safe folks right now. Originally, Satan's plan for you and for me, again, was for the same as the rest of the world. He wanted us to reject Christ, to die lost, and spend an eternity in hell. But guess what? We messed that up. Doesn't that make you feel good? You messed up Satan's plan? 
Because you repented toward God, you put your faith in Christ, and you were saved. So now he has a plan B. Okay? If you're a child of God, Satan has a plan B. And part of that plan is to isolate you from God, to isolate you from the Word of God, to isolate you from other believers because that he knows when believers come together, you know what we do? We encourage one another, or at least we're supposed to be, encouraging one another and building each other up in the Lord. That's why regular church attendance is so important for every child of God. Amen. It's not just, well, it's church, I can go with or not. No, you need to be here. God's Word says you need to be here because we get strength from gathering together and hearing a message from the Word of God. I heard about a man who had been out of church. He'd been regular for a long time, then he just got out of church for two or three months. And finally one evening, one chilly evening, and that's important to the story, the pastor went to see him. And when the man opened the door, he had found him sitting in front of the fireplace with a warm fire going. And he offered a chair by the fireplace to the pastor, and the pastor walked in, hadn't said a word. And he just sat down in the chair and stared at the fire. And he watched the flames jumping up and down around the logs and so forth. You know how fires do. And then the pastor got up and he took a pair of tongs and he took one ember out of that fire and set it over by itself. And he sat back down. And they watched. And pretty soon the fire that was coming from that ember died out. But it continued to glow red. And in a little bit that red glow was gone. And that ember was as dead as a doornail. The pastor sat there for a few more minutes. Hadn't said a word. He got up. Took the tongs. Took the ember. Put it back in the fire. And walked toward the door to leave. And as he reached for the doorknob. The man said. Pastor thank you for the fiery sermon. I'll be there Sunday. <laughs> See a lot of folks lose their glow. A lot of God's people lose their glow because they're hit and miss in church attendance because they think, boy, I'm going to meddle. Everybody get, get ready to get your mad suit on and then we're going to talk about that too. But get ready to get your mad suit on because some folks think Sunday morning's good enough. Once a month is good enough. Oh, I can, you know, what if you ate once a month or once a day? We need to be together to encourage one another. Amen. And as I said last week, if you don't think that Satan will attack you and will tempt you, just remember what he did to Jesus in the wilderness. And if he will tempt Jesus in the wilderness, he will tempt you and he will tempt me. He may cause you just to become dissatisfied with God at some point. Amen. Now, you don't know why you're dissatisfied but you just feel dissatisfied toward God. Maybe you feel dissatisfied toward the church. I've heard people say, well, I didn't get anything out of it. I don't get anything out of it. I'll tell you why. See, if I were to go to one of the banks down here and ask them for $100,000, you think I'd get it? Why wouldn't I get it? I said, well, you didn't put anything in. You can't take anything out. You don't have a savings account with us. By the way, we don't have $100,000 in a savings account. But I could go to the bank across the street where Joni worked, and I might get 10. I think we got 10. But again, if you don't put anything in, you're not going to get anything out. 
We had a young girl in the youth meeting one night. She, every Saturday night we'd have a youth meeting, youth meeting. And finally she would quit coming. She said, I don't get anything out of it. I said, you're not putting anything into it. To get anything out, you have to put something in. Maybe you say the preacher preaches too long. Well, I have no defense for that. Okay? I'm just going to preach the word of God. When we get through, we get through. Or maybe somebody said, well, I heard, actually heard this about a week ago. Somebody said to me they had left a church and gone to another church because they weren't satisfied with the music. Just didn't suit them. It didn't satisfy them. And so they just quit going to that church and went to a, another one. Sometimes you might just wake up in the morning, and I'm not going to say whether I confess to this or not. Sometimes you might just wake up in the morning with a bad attitude. Amen. You're mad, you don't know why you're mad. I heard of somebody that woke up mad because of a dream they had. You know? I heard one man that woke up one Sunday morning, and he said, I don't want to go to church today. And his wife and him had a big debate about it. And finally he said, give me one reason why I ought to go to church today. She said, you're the pastor, you have to go. Okay? Would you believe, I'm going to be real honest right now, you believe I've been places, Sunday morning came and I really didn't want to go to church? Because I knew what was waiting for me there. But you may wake up angry and you may wake up upset. Just feeling out of sorts. Little things bother you. Maybe the coffee wasn't strong enough. Maybe the coffee was too strong. Maybe, I don't know, maybe just, things just didn't seem to go right. It's a difficult day and you're just not feeling the joy of the Lord. You know who's behind that? For a child of God? Satan is. Some of his tactics to work on us. We talked last week about three ways that he comes against people. Oppression and obsession for believers. Possession is a possibility for those who don't know Christ as Savior. What does verse 11 of our text say? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Devices, we pointed out last week, talks about that which is thought out, a purpose, a project, a plan. It doesn't matter if you've been saved five minutes, five years, or 50 years, Satan has a plan B for your life as a child of God. Amen. Remember, plan A failed because we accepted Christ, okay? Satan is persistent. He is very passionate in what he does. He is patient. He is very methodical. And he will do his best to attack God's people to keep them from being faithful to their heavenly father. Amen. We're going to look at some of his tactics. I'm going to give you Try to very quickly, five tactics. People always gulp when I say more than three, but five tactics that Satan uses to destroy our lives for Christ and that he will also use against the unsaved to cause them to reject Christ and to die lost. Remember, we're not to be ignorant of his devices. And the very first one is this. Satan makes sin look attractive. Satan makes sin look attractive. He deceives poor lost, deluded souls into thinking that sin is the best thing in this life. I saw a new commercial the other day. It's probably been on for a long time. But it's obvious where it takes place. It's in a bar and all these people singing and having a good time and all of that. And they think that's the wonderful part of life. As I said last week, they don't show you the guy in the gutter with vomit and flies all over his face. That's the other side of it. 
They just want to show you the A side and not let you see what can take place. Anyway, he hides the gospel. He blinds the eyes of poor deluded souls lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. Satan has made sin so attractive that the human race can't resist it. I mean, it's there and, and it appeals to our flesh, folks, even to the flesh of those who profess Jesus Christ as Savior. Remember what he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden? He showed her the fruit. And what did he say? What does the scripture say about the fruit? It, she looked at it. It appeared good for food. It appeared pleasant to the eyes. And it was fruit to be desired to make one wise or to serve our pride, to fill our pride. And that's exactly what John said in 1 John chapter 2 when he said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And that word love talks about a self-sacrificing love, the kind of love Christ had for us. Don't have that kind of love for the world system, the world's way of thinking. All that is in the world, he said, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. In fact, what he said in the previous verse, and I didn't finish it, is he says, if any man have a self-sacrificing love for the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, he's lost. But Satan makes sin look attractive because it appeals to the lust of the flesh and it appeals to the lust of the eyes and to the pride of life, even to children of God. Listen, Satan makes big promises, doesn't he? But he always pays off in counterfeit bills. And that's what the world, that's what a lot of people don't get. He offers power. But how does it pay off? In servitude. In servitude to the world, in servitude to the flesh, in servitude to the devil. He offers fleshly pleasures. Well, listen, fleshly pleasures are not lasting, are they? Just look over to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11. We'll look at verse 24. Because look at what the scripture said. This is talking about Moses, all right? By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy what? The pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. But what does it say? Moses waited out. Pleasures of sin, serving God. Which way is more? Oh, wait a minute. Pleasures of sin only last for a season. By the way, that term season has the idea of just, just a little while, not very long at all. It talks about temporarily or for the occasion only. You know how long sin is pleasurable? While you're committing it. Amen. Once you're through committing it, then... With the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit kicks in and you begin to feel the guilt of that sin. God's Word never says that sin is not pleasurable. God says it is to the flesh. Here's the problem with it. It just doesn't last. You need more sin and you need greater sin if you're going to continue that pleasure. So first of all, Satan makes sin look attractive to people, lost and saved alike. And he seeks to stop the word of God. That's number two. Somebody said one time, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. And that's right. Amen. You know, if you, you, how did Jesus meet Satan when he was tempted out in the wilderness? 
It is written, and he quoted a verse of scripture, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You know, all of these things that he said, but every time he was met with temptation, Jesus just said, it is written. He quoted scripture. Scripture will keep you from sin if you'll hide it in your heart. And that's what the psalmist said. Psalm 119 verse 9, wherewithal, look at this question, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? How am I going to clean up my life? How can I live daily for the Lord? Get into the word of God. That's what he says. I would almost challenge anybody who say it didn't happen. But if you've been reading through the Bible this year with us, I would dare to say that it has changed some of your attitudes, outlook, something about your life because you've been into the Word of God on a daily basis. And that's one of the reasons that we've been encouraged to read through the Word of God. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Then he says this, With my whole heart have I sought thee. We got a lot of half-hearted Christians today. Sunday-only Christians today. But the psalmist said, With my whole heart, every bit of me, Brother Truman asked the question in Sunday school this morning, what is first love? We had various answers. I liked his, but I'm going to tell you mine. <laughs> but in my thinking, part of first love is just putting Jesus Christ first in absolutely everything. He takes the priority. Self comes somewhere down the line, but we don't worry about self. We worry about serving our Lord and we're concerned about other people and that's what we're supposed to do. But he says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. And then he says this, oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. I don't want to break any of the Lord's commandments. I don't want to go against God's will. I don't want to be unfaithful to the Lord. And that's what he's saying. And so he says this, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How am I going to do all of these things? How am I going to, with my whole heart, seek God? How am I going to not wander from God's commandments? How am I going to cleanse up my way? Hide God's word in your heart. Not up here. Sooner or later you're going to reach my age. I don't remember things the way I used to. I might try to tell a story and forget, or tell what somebody told me, but i and forget it too. I do quite often. Well, hide it in your heart. See, if it's in your heart, it's a part of you. It's down deep inside of you, and it will guide your life. In the Old Testament, see, here's what Satan does. He tries to stop the Word of God. Satan is trying to stop the Word of God from being read. I guarantee you, if you're trying to read through the Bible, he'll give you things to do in a day. You'll come to bedtime at night and say, I haven't read my four chapters today. And then if it happens to, see, the next day you've got to read twice as many to catch up. Well, I can't read eight chapters, especially if you notice when we get in the New Testament, a lot of the chapters get a whole lot longer. Seventy-something chapters and uh, verses and some of the chapters. Are well, I can't read eight chapters today. And so we put it off. And so now it's 12 chapters. And suddenly we're no longer reading the Word of God. That's how it works. And Satan doesn't want the Word of God written. He doesn't want it taught. He doesn't want it preached. Listen, there's a lot of preaching going on today, but not a lot of it is the Word of God. Amen. I mean, I could get up here and give you a lollipop each Sunday, and that's what Satan would love. I had a friend come by the house. You know, I put something on Facebook yesterday because of all that's going on. I said, I really need some prayers. 
strong prayers right now. And so his friend came by the house and was visiting and, and just said this, said, Satan's trying to stop me. And of course, I knew this. But it's good to hear somebody else say it to me. Satan's trying to keep you from preaching the word of God. If you'll just get up and, you know, make people feel good each Sunday, I said, be a Joel. I'm not going to give a last name. But be a Joel. And, and like he does, and so he'll be happy with that. And I said, you're right. He does not want the word of God preached. And there's a lot of preaching that is not preaching the word of God. It may be psychology, it may be sociology, it may be a lot of things, but Satan is trying to keep the word of God from being preached. And if it's not read, it's not taught, it's not preached, guess what? It's not believed. And he tries to stop those who are given the job of spreading the word of God. In the Old Testament it was Israel, and he did a pretty good job of that, didn't he? He was constantly leading Israel away from God, leading Israel to idols. And in fact, Satan's deception eventually caused Israel, the nation, to reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah. John 1.11 says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's the point to which Satan brought Israel. Who does he attack today? Who has the responsibility of spreading the word of God today? The Lord's churches. And that's not some big conglomerated organization. That's people. Because people make up churches. You can't have a church without people. And so he tries to stop us from sharing the word of God. Because he knows this. We have the commission to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ in all the world. And make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wants to stop us. How does he do it? Number one, he damages the influence of our members. Just think right now, I'm going to assume that everybody in here right now is in a perfect fellowship with God, okay? I'm making that assumption. And I'm going to assume that you've invited people to church and I'm going to assume that you've witnessed the people of Christ. Now what if this next week you decide to just quit church or this next week you decide to get out of fellowship with God and go off into the world and start committing sin? What's that going to do to all of those people you've witnessed to and to all of those people you've invited to church? I knew it wasn't real. I knew it wouldn't last. We have a great responsibility, a grave responsibility to keep ourselves clean as individual members of this church. But Satan will try to damage our reputation. He will try to cause us to get away from God. Number two, he'd like to create havoc in the church. That's why I pray every so often, need to pray every time we pray, I guess, that God would keep Satan from causing problems in this church. And I pray that he does. But sometimes, and in our lives, sometimes we just let the cares of this life overcome us, don't we? I'll be honest with you, this last week has not been a fun week, okay? Not been a great week. But listen, we serve a master who's greater than Satan. We serve one who will never leave us and never forsake us. Sometimes Satan will cause churches to abandon the truth, and there's a whole lot of them abandoning the truth today, folks. You know, we can get more members if we play fun and games. We can get more members if we 
don't preach so hard, if we don't insist that, you know, we can receive members many different ways. How do we, you know, someone just says, I don't want to do it that way. I know churches that'll take them any way they want to come. You know, we have three ways of receiving members. Did you know that? Number one, if somebody's saved and they present themselves as a candidate for scriptural baptism and after baptism and full membership and fellowship of the church. Number two, we can receive people by statement that they have been saved, they've been scripturally baptized, and so they come and want to join us and we receive them on that, that statement. We honor that statement. We've received several members recently that way. And I have no problem with that. And there's another way. We can go try to get members from other churches to come here and join by letter, and we'll receive people that way. But there are churches that say, well, just come in and be a part of us also. And they don't require actually making a commitment to God through the church. I don't know how I got off on that. But he'll cause us not to want to serve God. He'll cause us not to want to go to church. He'll cause us, I mentioned reading the Bible. He'll cause us not to want to do that. Satan will cause us not to want to pray. He'll cause us not to want to witness of the Lord. And then he'll get members to be critical of one another or critical of the pastor. Have you ever seen that? Well, if you haven't, I don't know where you've been going to church, but <laughs> that's almost a standard in Baptist churches, isn't it? Members critical of one another or critical of the pastor. And then he gets us, as I said a moment ago, to set the poorest example of what a child of God ought to be. He attacks those who have the responsibility of carrying the word into the world. He attacks churches, you know how? By attacking families. 50% of all professed Christian couples, their marriages end up in divorce these days. 50%, one half. That's sad, folks. Listen, and I've said this before, and you can take it, I believe it's biblical. If you're saved and your mate is saved, there's no problem that you can't work out together. Amen. Okay? If you'll both just be servants of the Lord and be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. He causes fathers not to be spiritual leaders in the home. Men, we are given that position by God himself. We are to lead our homes. We ought to lead our homes. And then he'll cause fathers not to be the Christian examples to their children that they ought to be. That's Satan attacking the Lord's churches. You know, in the beginning, he attacked churches from the outside. Now he's getting on the inside and attacking churches from the inside. So he'll make sin look attractive. He'll try to keep the word of God from being preached. And Satan attacks God's preachers. I like to talk about Satan's attacks on preachers because he does. If one will preach the truth. 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen tells us that Satan has his ministers. Did you know that? Satan has preachers. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. Today... Right now, while I'm speaking, there are men standing in pulpits similar to this one. And they have suits on. They probably have better suits on than I have. And they're preaching false messages. They're ministers of unrighteousness. What do you mean, Brother Jim? They'll say, well, you have to repent because you've got to add baptism to the sacrifice of Jesus. No, you don't. Repentance toward God and faith in Christ. All right? That's what the Word of God teaches for salvation. 
They'll preach that you can be saved, but you can lose your salvation. That's not according to the word of God. Some will preach, well, just be good. Just live an upright life, and in, God, in the end, God's going to weigh everybody out, and the good will go to heaven, and the bad will go to hell, and things like that. And some aren't even talking about heaven and hell and about eternity. They've just got a social message. I want to tell you how to get rich quick by giving an offering so that they can have a bigger salary. You say, do you believe that? I believe that, okay. Listen to what Paul told the church at Ephesus. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He said, there's going to come false preachers. Jude, verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who we before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16 in Jude, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration. Satan has his preachers, and he literally seeks to destroy the preacher who will stand up and preach, thus saith the Lord. Through discouragement. You know that is one of the greatest tools that Satan has against pastors? Amen. Discouragement. People doing what they ought not to do or people not doing what they know they ought to do. Brother Truman touched on that in Sunday school this morning. And he said it, and I agree with him, it is discouraging to look at your church membership and on any given Sunday about one-fourth of that membership shows up. That means three-fourths of the people either don't care or don't know Christ as Savior. One of the two. You say, that's awful plain. Well, good. I'm glad it's awful plain. Through discouragement. Through despair. Listen to, you're, you're familiar with Elijah. I preached about Elijah not too many years ago. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to look at verses 4 and verse 10. But before I read it, folks, I'm going to tell you this. I can understand Elijah. I've sat down under the juniper tree. Okay? But he himself, talking about Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. Now, I, I don't know if I've asked God to kill me yet. But I've said, Lord, if you'll just give me a job where I can earn a living for my family, I'll quit this. He hasn't given me a job yet. <laughs> so I guess he still wants me to preach, right? And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah got that feeling that I'm the only one. Have you ever felt that way about anything? I'm the only one that cares. I'm the only one that's doing anything. And he just said, Lord, that's it. Remember, Jezebel had threatened to kill him at this point. You talk about discouraged and you talk about in despair. And then Satan will use defeat. Some folks just quit. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departing. The Barna Company, or whatever they call themselves, did a survey on why pastors quit the ministry. And the top five reasons are this. Number one, the immense stress of the job. 
56% of pastors say the stress is too much. I have heard pastoring is the most stressful occupation there is in the world. Have you ever tried to get about 40 cats to go in the same direction all at the same time? That's about what it's like. Or 40 chickens or 40 whatever. Take 100 people. Try to get them all going the same direction at the same time and like it. I've written an article. It may be next week. Make a big space on the bulletin for next week. It's about as long as this week. So that little tiny font on the bulletin article this week, it's my fault. Don't blame Sister Vicki. I just, I get to writing and sometimes I can't quit. So if you need a big version, I'm going to put a big version of it on the Facebook tomorrow, I think. But I got another one. And it, it's about the same length. But just the stress of the job. And, and you look at, and, and that article talks about all that Paul went through. And then he ended it by saying what? After talking about how he'd been in the ocean and how he'd received stripes and all these things. And he ended it by saying, and that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I'm glad I'm not Paul. I only have one church to worry about. Paul had many that the Lord had used him to begin. But the immense stress of the job. Number two, I feel lonely and isolated, 43%, and that is an amen right there. One of the loneliest occupations there is in this world is to be a pastor. You know what I thought when, before, this is how ignorant I was, how naive, I'm sorry, how naive I was when I, before I actually started pastoring. I thought, well, one day I'll be a pastor and, 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 you know, people come by the house or come by the office. They want to see me. They want to talk to me. <laughs> Oh, well, now, yeah, when, when there's a problem. You know what so-and-so said? No. You know what so-and-so did? That's when they want to call. I had a woman that uh, used to call me with gossip, first church I pastored. I hated it, but she'd call me. So finally, one Sunday morning, and this has been my approach ever since, I stood up in the pulpit, and I said, the next person that calls me with gossip the very next service, I will stand in this pulpit and I will tell the gossip and I will tell who told it. That woman never called me again. That's how you take care of gossip, folks. You send it right back to the person who gave it to you. But the, the lonely and isolated feeling. Now, I'm assuming current political divisions, 38%, is because in a church, sometimes you have both liberals and conservatives. That's the only thing I can imagine. We know them as Democrats and Republicans, okay? When you got a church divided like that, it does create issues. Number four, I'm unhappy with the effect this role has had on my family, 29%. The, the pastor's children are supposed to be perfect. And they are supposed to dress perfectly just like everybody else. No, better than everybody else, isn't it? We got some pastor's kids here. And yet they're supposed to be, they're not supposed to be Human children, they're supposed to be preacher's children, preacher's kids. They're supposed to be perfect. And if they're not, they get criticized, they get talked about. The pastor's wife. I'm thankful for my pastor's wife. And I know y'all love her. She's not the assistant pastor. Sometimes I treat her like that, but you know. <laughs> But I'm thankful for her. But you know, I've seen her hurt. Not here. I've seen her hurt too. So some men just say, I don't like what it's doing to my family. It's causing issues. And so I quit. 
And then I hope this is never true here. Number five, I'm not optimistic about the future of my church. Folks, as long as there's a God in heaven, as long as the Holy Spirit is working, and as long as we're faithful to him and serve him, I'm not going to be unoptimistic. Is that a word? Unoptimistic about the future of this church. God can do great things here. You think God can double this number? Well, that was weak. <laughs> I expected a amen. Huh? He can. But you know what it takes? It takes us, all of us, witnessing and inviting and so forth. I need to get on with the message. Then some pastors just carnal out. That phrase came up several years ago when I first read it. You know what that is? A man says, look, I'm afraid to quit the ministry. God called me to do this. And I'm afraid if I just quit, God might discipline me. God might punish me. So here's what I'll do. I'll just get involved in some immorality and get caught at it. And then my ministry is destroyed and I can't pastor, I can't preach anymore. And so I can go on with my, that's what some men have actually done. I read an article about that years ago. Some may think that the devil has better sense than to attack God's men. But what better way to accomplish his goal of hindering the word? The man has stood before a church for years and preached the word of God and then he goes off into immorality and he wants to destroy the preacher who proclaims his word. If possible, he'll hinder God's man for the call. I think Moses is a perfect example. Lord, I can't talk. I don't know how many times I told God, I can't do, I can't, I can't stand up in front of those people who are older than me and preach to them. He said, I got a plan for you. You'll get older. I can't do this, Lord. I can't do that. Yes, you can. So God gave Moses Aaron and then Aaron didn't get to talk much, right? He'll try to keep us from the call. He'll try to keep men to do what Jeremiah did. Jeremiah, I love Jeremiah 20 and 9 because I've been there. Because first of all, Jeremiah accused God of deceiving him. Thou hast deceived me, O Lord, is what he said. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. You know, a lot of preachers quit on Sunday night. By Monday morning, they're back in the ministry. You know? <laughs> because of this. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Now, even today, men have been hindered from God's calling, and even today, men quit the ministry. But Satan will attack the preacher and attack his home in any way he can through divorce, disruption, unsettlement, disobedient children. Whatever he can use, he will attack the pastor in his home. Satan misleads our youth. We don't have a whole lot of young people. I wish we had more. I'm glad we're going to do something with them at the end of this month. He misleads our, he deceives them through disobedience. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 11. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. Folks, that's this present generation. They have no respect for mom and dad. And they show that they don't have any. But God's word says, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. And what's that promise? That it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long upon the earth. I worry about children who are disrespectful, disobedient to their parents. You know, in Bible days, what would they do with a rebellious child? What were they told to do? Stone him to death. 
You don't need a child like that. Now, a lot of times when ours were growing up, I said, boy, if we were living in the Old Testament days, I'd have you at the city limit sign right now throwing rocks at you because they weren't obeying. I never did that, by the way. I don't want anybody to think I did that. But he attacks children. He deceives them through disobedience and through drugs. I believe he wants to get as many of our young people as he can hooked on drugs. Because the drug gets your mind. Somebody may say, well, I'm, I'm just going to pick an age. I'm 15 right now. I don't need to be saved. And get out in the world and get on drugs and blow his mind out with illicit drugs, illegal drugs and come to the end of his life and not know how to be saved because of that. And I think Satan wants that. Remember, sorceries, drugs is a part of the tribulation period. And I believe one of his greatest tools today and I'm going to say this and get in trouble later. One of his greatest tools today is our present day educational system. Amen. The world's universities are filled with professors who wield a great influence on their students. And what are those professors preaching and teaching? Number one, that there is no God. Number two, that the mankind is just a product of some cosmic accident. And number three, that Darwin's theory of evolution is how all of this came to be. And even in our own nation, children are shielded from the fact of God's existence. I grew up in a time, and you probably did too, when the school day started with Bible reading and prayer and a pledge to the flag. That was just every day. You did it. Today, a teacher does not dare mention God or anything about God unless that teacher wants to be sued or fired I know of a teacher to whom a child asked this question in the classroom, okay? Who is God? Now you think about right here in this town, a child asking that question. Folks, this just said in the Bible Belt, this is the buckle of the Bible Belt. And there's a child that does not know who God is? Who is God? And that teacher could not tell lest they get fired or lest they get sued. It's a sad shape in this nation today, folks. Satan will deceive through an unequal yoke promoting marriages where one mate saved and the other's not. And he will deceive this way and discourage every newly married couple to put their service of the Lord on the back burner I read one time where the first 10 years of a young marriage couple's life is lost in the service of Christ. We're talking about saved young people, okay? Or they'll cause them to seek a church that offers other things than the truth. One more and we're through. Satan seeks to give the world another gospel. It is a bloodless gospel. It is a social message. It is a graceless gospel. It is a faithless gospel. Just be good or whatever. But Galatians 1.8, Paul said, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Many are compromising the message today. 
Now, I may get on somebody's toes or feelings or something with this, but I think this is Bible, and I pointed it out to you Wednesday night. Many are confusing the message. Mark 6, 12, Jesus is sending out the 12 apostles. They're to preach the gospel. And Mark 6, 12 says, they went out and they preached that men should repent. Amen. They didn't go out and say, well, just give your heart to Jesus. You can give your heart to Jesus and you can take it back. They didn't go out and say, well, just invite Jesus into your heart. Luke 13, what did Jesus say? Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You know what Paul preached and what Peter preached and what Jesus preached. And by the way, it's the same message that Noah preached. You know what it was? Repent. Judgment is coming. We're trying to have people saved today without any repentance. No, the Bible says repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message. And since Brother Truman talked about it, I'm going to mention, you know how easy it is to witness? And, and I agree with him. Just give your own testimony. And it won't take you any time. Hey, friend, listen. I was in the same condition you are. I was lost and without Christ. God convicted my heart that I was lost and I needed to be saved. If I died lost, I'd go to hell and I didn't want that. And so here's what I did. I repented. I turned around. I turned toward God and I said, Lord, I believe you. I believe your word. And so I turned toward God and repented and I asked God to save me and I put every, bit, every ounce, every iota of my faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I asked him to save me, to cover me with his blood and make me his child. That didn't take a minute, folks. I don't have time to witness. Yeah, you do. Shall we be honest? I don't want to witness. I'm afraid to witness instead of I can't witness. And the plan that God gave us is that Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, in your going, as you go, day in, day out, as you go, you meet people, tell them about the Lord. Peter says it this way, show them the hope that's in you in 1 Peter 3 and make them ask. All right? When they see that hope, what's wrong with you? How can you be so happy? Because I know the Lord. By the way, let me tell you what happened to me. <laughs> it's not hard. We just don't want to do it. But repentance, you know, John the Baptist even preached repentance for the remission of sins. Some came to him and said, we want to be baptized by you. And he said, well, show me fruit meat for repentance. Give me evidence that you've repented. Then I'll baptize you. But so many want to leave repentance out. That's because Satan's giving the world another gospel. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Satan's got many devices that he's going to use against the lost. He's going to use against the saved. He'll try to shut us up. He'll try to stop us. Fear is one of those. We talked about that last week. He will discourage lost sinners from hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He'll get them to believe his false gospel. And by the way, a false gospel is no gospel because gospel means good news. So anything other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for salvation is not gospel. It's error. He'll tell them there's no hell, no heaven. You know, when you're dead, you're like Rover, you're dead all over. And that's it. Just darkness, blackness after that. You go out of existence. Please, if you're lost, do not let Satan drag you to hell. Repent toward God and trust Christ today. And Satan wants nothing more than to destroy this church and corrupt 
every member in this church because this is the place where God gets glory. Unto him, God be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And this institution and the several members, what do you mean several members? That just means it's a neat way of saying each member. This institution, this church, this body, and every member of it has the direct command from the Lord to go into all the world and make disciples. And from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, isn't it amazing that the disciples asked, tell us about that. When is it going to be the end of the world and the coming of your kingdom, all that? And Jesus said, that's not for you to know right now. Well, that's sort of the Harris version of that, all right? He said, here's what you need to be doing right now. He said, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and under the uttermost part of wherever you go, witness of Jesus Christ. Satan's got a lot of devices. He wants to deceive and he wants to destroy. Folks, I don't believe he wanted this message preached today. I think he did everything he could to stop this message today. Folks, Satan wants to stop us. Satan wants lost people to die lost. We cannot allow it. We must witness of Christ.